So we're going to be in 1 John today, finishing up actually the book. So that's, that's the first for me to do. <clears throat> it was a first, it was a, it's a first, it's a short book to finish. I could have started in 2 John, I guess, or 3rd. <laughs> but uh, the closing remarks in this chapter are, are kind of difficult. We're actually going to have to be looking at a couple of passages that are the most contested and uh, wondered about verses in, in the whole of the Bible, in fact. A couple of those passages are, and we'll get to those in a minute. Before I start, though, I'm going to read out of Romans. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness... And unrighteousness of men. This is out of Romans 1, 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And it says, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So they, they suppress it. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were, th- nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And after that, as Paul goes on to write... These people that suppress truth from the law of God that's written on their heart devolve into a more egregious state of a corruption of the creation that God had made. And that's what we see happening in our day on a, on a grand scale. When I was thinking about when COVID started and we went into that first weird lockdown, that's the first time since probably the Spanish flu, that every, anything like that had happened. And not even that was nationwide, okay? But we did that, and remember thinking that, strongly sensing that things have changed. And things have, have, have steadily changed since then very rapidly, very quickly. Not only on a geopolitical scale, but also just on the emphasis of the family, the breakdown of the family, the, the, uh, the rise in homosexual behaviors, transgenderisms, even to the point of saying there is no sex at all. You, you don't have to be male or female. And, 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 and then going on into what we would call uh, virtue signaling that you can't minimize a person's identity, even though it's a wrong identity, but it's okay to kill children. Or perhaps whoever you may prefer or not prefer. And so what we have then is, is, is we have a mass deception happening, and the whole world is busy looking wherever the news tells them to look. I was thinking back to when I was praying this week, that at first, <clears throat> it was this mysterious virus that's coming. We were all looking that way. And then it came. 
then it was the first lockdown, and we were looking at that, right? Everybody's looking at that. And then it was the mass that came, and then we were looking at that. And then it was the vaccine mandates, and we were looking at that, right? And then, uh, of course, that went on for a while, and there were some other things coming on in there. There was, there was the whole election. We were looking at that. Then there was a trucker convoy. We looked at that. And now it's Russia, and we're looking at that. And I just got to thinking, you know, actually, there'll always be something else to look at. I don't think we should be ignorant of what's going on in the world. But I think we should be very careful as to understand the world through which God has said it truly is. Truth is the valued commodity. And it's there. But where are you looking to find it? And so in 1 John today, in, clo- in, these very, in these closing remarks, and we're going to go ahead and read them. <clears throat> and if you will, like we did last week, let's all stand in honor of God and the Word of God. This is the authority by which we preach. This is the authority by which we believe. This is the authority that doesn't move this is the Word of God, and it says in verse 14 of First John chapter 5, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Okay, And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask, And he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. I love that last word. Amen. Let's pray. God, we know as we read in Romans... That, that men love darkness rather than light so much, as it says in John. But Romans tells us that they suppress truth because they love lies, and they recreate in their own image whom they would call God. And they make of themselves an inferior deity that is prone to corruption, to disease, to death. God, you tell us here in First John that we can have confidence. You... You inform us that we know the truth, and you tell us to stand in it. God, we know that we are of you. We also know, Lord, that the world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So help us to be wise as we finish out our days here, as stewards of a life given. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. I'm going to go ahead and say that verse 16 and 17 are some of the hardest verses in the entire Bible. It's just a fact. 
and I get the, the privilege of talking about that today. Yippee. So, confidence in prayer and closing thoughts is what I've called this one because I had no idea how to pull those last together. If you're one that outlines Scripture, you'd know that would be difficult. But we're going to, I know the first of it is confidence in prayer. Because clearly, the first of these passages talks about confidence in prayer. Now, notice verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in Him. Who hears our prayer? God. We have confidence that God hears our prayer. Now, does God hear all of our prayers? Depends, doesn't it? That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. There's a qualifier. Okay? And, and if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask... We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. The first thing I want us to see is confidence, confidence in prayer is about freedom. And more importantly, it's about freedom to speak because that's what the word is. This word confidence also occurs in chapter 2 of 1 John in verse uh, 28. This verse reads, And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears... We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So we have this word confidence, this idea of freedom. And more importantly, it's also a word that we might, your, your Bible actually might say boldness. So there's a boldness, the trait of being willing to undertake activities that invoke risk or danger. So think about that if you're going to go visiting with us uh, when the mission team comes. Okay, that that Christ gives us boldness, confidence in risk or danger, especially that involved being honest and straightforward in attitude and speech. But the, the thing that I think captured me most in this in the Greek is it really does mean freedom of speech, freedom to speak. Sometimes in the military, the the, uh, the superior or the commanding officer may say, speak freely. That's a trick. I, I was... I had, a, I, had a, I had a staff sergeant tell me once I could do that. I didn't ever do that again. So, it was a trick. But we, in God, He doesn't trick us. So, when we come in prayer, and we're burdened, and we pray, you don't have to... Some, I know some of you have heard you say, I'm so... I'm, I don't know how to pray. I, I don't know if what I'm saying is right. I don't, I don't know if God's going to accept that. And, and you're not sure. And what you're talking about is how to articulate the right form of prayer. Because, you know, maybe you grew up hearing some people that read the King James Bible. They pray in King James. God, we thank thee. Lord, thank thee for thine own love. And, and you're thinking. I had an uncle that did that at dinner, and it was forever. And we had to wait, and it was cold time he got done. But, you know. You, when you come and you talk to God, you need to first come in this. If you're in Jesus, your sins have been forgiven, you're a born-again child of God, you have the freedom to speak freely. You should come boldly. Now, this harkens back to Hebrews where it says, we may come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace to help in time of need. So speak freely with God. But there's something else that we have to go back to. It says... That if we ask anything according to his will, you say, well, how do I know how to pray according to the will of God? That's how. You know, when I die, I pray that 
Well, anyway, just know that all I really wanted you to do was read your Bibles, okay? I mean, if, if you could distill every sermon I've ever preached and any kind of counsel I've ever given, I really do believe that the entirety of our problems could be summed up with just a good, thorough uh, 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 submersion in the word every day it doesn't mean we don't struggle it's not going to make you walk on water it's not going to give you power to move a mountain in the sense of actually seeing it go and plop into the sea but you will know God and you will know his will and you'll be able to pray accordingly okay you'll know that but you won't know that if unless you read your bible every day and you're going to know when you're praying if it aligns with the will of God. And so when you, the more you know of Scripture, the more you know the Bible that you have to read every day to know. I cannot say it enough. You will not have victory in your prayer life unless you know the Scripture. They go together. And so when you, when you pray from a knowledge of the heart of God, from the word of God, and you're praying in the will of God, you know you have confidence that God hears what you're saying. It's hard to be self-serving when you know the word of God in prayer. You won't come to God in prayer in a self-serving way when you know the will of God and the word of God forbids such a thing. And you'll get caught in it, and God will convict you of it. And then you'll go back in your prayer time and say, God, I'm sorry. This is wrong because he's convicting you of your sin and he's going to correct your prayer life and you have this confidence. But you have the right to come and speak freely. Praying in the will of God. So you just ask yourself, well, how much stuff is there to pray in the known will of God in the Bible? This much. Okay? I'd say for my Bible, probably well, compress it about an inch and a quarter much. And if you're Travis's Bible, probably about five feet. It's about that, that thick, okay? And if we went by poundage, he'd win that too. He's, that, that thing's big. So it's like a family Bible in a bag. So he needs a, like a wheel so you could pull. I'm, I'm getting off. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get on. So confidence then in prayer begins where? In a thorough knowledge of the will of God. You say, well, what if I don't know the will of God and the word of God because I'm a brand new to the Bible? Good news. Come with what you have and let the Lord teach you how to pray. But come and pray. Now there's another thing, and I've just touched on it here too, but we pray according to his will. And I, I say this, prayers prayed in the will of God never have to be muttered. You ever talk to someone that mumbles? I, I've, I've had to visit with people that mumble. Because you know when you say, come again, that doesn't help. You know, or, or, or if you're asking for something in a store and you're looking at a product and you say, hey, what, what's the specification on this? Uh, you know, what? You know, you, you want some clarity. And, and so when we pray with confidence that God hears us, we don't have to mumble. We don't have to come sheepishly. We don't have to be cowardly. We come with, Father, this is what's happening. 
I'm feeling this way today. I know it's not your will that I do because I read that's not an attribute you want me to possess. But God, I'm asking for help clearly. And would you please help? And God, our world is off its rocker. And I'm just waiting for the poles to slide together. I don't know what to say, but you know that's good. He does know. And if that's all you know to say, then say it. But pray with confidence knowing that does God hear you. And I, I, this, this week this was sent to me. Uh, someone once said, and I don't know who it was, I tried to find it, but prayer isn't the least we can do. Prayer isn't all we can do. Prayer is ultimately the most we can do. Think about that. Well, I guess we can pray now. There's nothing left. The last round has been fired. It's the Willie Nelson song. What was that one? Oh, remember that they were the the angels. Anyway, it was a big thing with the Willie. I, I forget. Some of you may. I bet Brian knows it. Huh? The seven Spanish angels. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh, Chris Christopherson. Oh, he wrote it, but Willie sang it. Chris can't sing. Anyway. Uh, well, Willie can't. But what he sounds. <laughs> thanks, thanks, brother. But the point is, is you know, they're, the rifle fired again. And so we wait till we get down to that last thing that we feel like we can do. And then we begin to pour on the prayers. But we really should let it be the first thing because we know it's the most thing. It's so sad that because the doctrine of the church, the core doctrines of the church, have deteriorated over the centuries. In fact, the education level of people have deteriorated over the centuries. That's why it's so hard to read the Puritans, because a sentence is like a chapter long, just one, it's one sentence. And so you have to think on that for a week. Because they have so much they can say in such a short span. But when we, when we pray, when we go to prayer, it's not because we're, we're putting the cherry on top, uh, the garnish on the plate. Uh, you know, we're not just putting the last bit of gravy because we have the full meal. This is it. This is where it starts. That's why I'm anxious to see when we come as a church and the evangelism team is coming. I just, I've always really wondered about this. If, if the true effective nature of a, of a true evangelism strategy, an act of obedience of God to share the good news was completely undergirded and built up by the prayers of the saints of God in intercession as you're out doing that, what would happen? Because I've never been anywhere where that's ever been done. But I read about it. I'm tired of reading about stuff. Would really like to see it. So I guess I'm laying a big charge to all of you. When these people are here, pray. Pray like your life depended on it because eternity is in the balance and and I don't want to get off into that too much, but to say this, if we have not because we ask not because we ask amiss, there's a mystery there that you got to wonder about, right? What would God do if we storm the gates of heaven collectively as a body of Christ for the evangelists that are going out and for the hearers to hear, what would God do in response to such a concerted effort? I'd like to find out. Next slide. Um, Well,
I think I got lost. Okay. The basis of, uh, of God's com- of, of confidence is in prayer is His will. But now we're getting over here into some closing thoughts, and these are the hard ones. So we've been talking about prayer, and we talked about confidence. Now John's thrown a curveball at us, and we'll read it, if we will. Verse 16 and 17. You've probably heard this in passing, but this has to do with the sin unto death. Okay? If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. And most of us would say, what did he just say? And then you go to your NLT so you can understand it better. But first, Let's not overlook this obvious connection. This, these thoughts that John is putting out here are directly connected with the idea of praying with confidence, right? And we're talking about a sinning brother, sinning a sin who it says that does not lead to death. So we have confidence to pray for each other in what is known as intercession. Now, do Christians sin? Absolutely. They do. I do. Lots. But we have brothers and sisters who are in sin that sometimes leaving us scratching our head because they really seem determined. And this is the difficulty. First, we have to know that when we intercede for a brother or sister in Christ, this is in the will of God to do so. In fact, it is a responsibility that we have to do. So we first know when we pray for a a sinning brother or sister that that is the will of God that we do so. So we have confidence that He's going to hear us on that. But then He says, we can... We can ask Him and He will give life for those who commit sin not leading to death, which is a way of saying bringing them back. That's what we're praying for, right? We're praying that God would would bring them back under conviction uh, and bring them to repentance. But then He says, there is sin leading to death. What? Yes. I do not say that He should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So John is saying, essentially, this brother, there's a brother who's sinning. Perhaps he's backslidden or she's backslidden. We should pray for them because it's a death that will not lead to their demise. We're praying for them. We're we're interceding for them to bring them back. But then he says, but there is sin leading to death. So what are we talking about here? There's three views, (laughs) okay? This is the theological way of saying, we're not quite sure, but here's three views. Number one, the first view is the apostasy view. This is the view that puts forth the idea that there are Christians who stopped believing, okay? There are many people 
And, and, and I love what this says here. Uh, and then I'm going to go back and read the verses. This is from Bruce Demarest. Dimmer, it says, there are many people who love religion for religion's sake. You, you ever met anyone like that? And are willing to identify themselves with Jesus and the church. Who wouldn't want eternal life. Are you right? He asked a question. Who wouldn't want eternal life and blessing? However, Jesus warns us to count the cost of discipleship, and he does that in Luke 9. But true believers have counted the cost and made the commitment. Apostates fail to do so. Apostates had a, now this is, this is key. Apostates had a profession of faith at one time, but not the possession of faith. That's very, very pointed. Their mouths spoke something other than what their hearts believed. Apostasy is not loss of salvation, but evidence of past pretension. Apostasy is not loss of salvation, but evidence of past pretension. So I just want to go ahead and say for the record, if you are a born-again child of God, born of the Spirit of God, sealed with the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians tells us, you have been promised that the sanctification of Christ that will be completed in your life, you cannot apostatize. You, you cannot. Your salvation was not earned by you and it will not be kept by you. It's kept by the power of God in His mercy and His faithfulness. When we're not faithful, He remains faithful. Okay? So apostasy. The second one is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to turn and read on this one. So, this would be in Matthew uh, 22, or Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, verses 22 through 32. And we need to read these so we can have the context with which Jesus couches this, this idea. <clears throat> then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed. Blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now, I want to go ahead and tell you, before we go further, in the Greek, the way it's written, it should be maybe better translated, Could this really be the son of David? Or, Is this the son of David? They were very skeptical. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. That's reasonable. If Satan casts out Satan... He is divided against himself. How then was, will his kingdom stand? Because why would he fight against himself? If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
Or how can you enter, or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore, he says in verse 31 and 32, Therefore, I say to you, in light of everything I've said, therefore, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Boy, that's some powerful stuff right there. First off, I'd like to just say that, uh, going back here, just getting lost a little bit. In these passages, Jesus is showing the Jews who are very skeptical of him that they have exorcists too that are going out trying to expel demons in the name of, of God. And yet Jesus is doing it with success. <laughs> it's actually happening. And they're attributing his work to Satan. Imagine doing such a thing. Imagining attributing the very workings of the Messiah whom you hope to see, who's in your midst, doing these great things, and then saying, ah, he's a pretender he's just doing that all in the power of satan anyway to which jesus says well <laughs> if, if i'm doing this by the power of satan what are you people doing okay jesus says unequivocally that it makes no sense for satan to be divided against himself why why would satan want to both possess and destroy somebody but then at the same time Deliver them. That makes no sense. Things that don't make any sense are very popular today. Okay? So he says, therefore, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven them. If you hear the gospel and you believe it to be a made-up mechanism for some kind of control, and you reject the Spirit, the agent of salvation is the Holy Spirit of God, which, which brings conviction, okay? If you believe that that work that the Spirit is doing is of Satan, then you have no hope because you're, you, are, you are rejecting the only one that can save. It is blasphemy. You're blaspheming him. You, you are discounting him as the worker of Satan. Well, what else you have to turn to? There is no salvation outside of Christ. There is no one else in the triunity of God than the Holy Spirit himself to bring conviction to the soul. If you... Call that a satanic work. That's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And I would say it this way. It happens in all kinds of cults today who say 
that I'm a hireling of Satan and the gospel that we hold in the, in the revealed word of God is really just lies of Satan. And when we try to tell them what the book is saying and they say that's just Satan's word, guess what they're doing? You can't have a ride in the car if the car, if you're convinced it's a rock, you won't get in there. You can't go anywhere. And it's much deeper than this, but we just don't have two hours. But there's also something else. When God is, uh, when God is effectively calling you to himself, you, you can be the worst <laughs> sinner, vile. You can be steeped in Satanism for five generations. And when Almighty God beckons you and you see your sin and you know who you are and He says, you come. You're coming. That's a God who saves. To the uttermost, remember? That's the God who delivers. So I want to say to you Christians who, who are afraid that you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful. This is more common sense stuff, so I'm popular today. By the very fact that you're worried and grieved that you might have grieved the Holy Spirit or blasphemed the Holy Spirit is proof you have not. Okay, because those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit do not care. That's the least of their thoughts. They don't, they don't care. They, they have no, no conscience of it. But Christian. Your salvation is so precious in the sight of God that as you were not looking for Him when He came to you and compelled you to come and He saved you by His mercy, He will keep you by that same mercy. Oh, and He will sanctify you by that same mercy. Now, maybe you've been ugly. Maybe you've been in a bad mood for a couple years. Maybe you have had some hard thoughts on God because you've been bitter and hurt and wounded. I love the fact that, that, our, that, our, that our Heavenly Father, our, our God in Heaven, knows us and, and talks about our, the weakness of our frame, that we are but dust, and, and that He sympathizes with us, that we have a high priest even that lived in, in this humanity successfully and he can relate but yet he never sins so he can say I know how you feel my victory is your victory your sin I've paid the Christian life is an exchanged life the Christian life is me coming to God saying here's my sin and yuck and stuff God, I can't help myself. And God's like, that's, that's absolutely right. Now, I give you my life. I'll take yours. And that's why the Bible talks about how our sins are buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. 
So you may have a bad time of it, but you did not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit. First John's going to show us here in a second. It's impossible <laughs> for you to do. So the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit, then, is for all those workers of iniquity who love their sin. And they redefine God according to their own image so that they might satisfy their own lust. Now, number three, this is fun. Sins within and sins without. Kind of got into that before. See what it says. Christians do commit sin. However, because they have been born from above, as in John 3, 3, they cannot persist in sin. In 1 John, let me get back over there, 5, 18, it actually says that. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. And therefore, cannot be committing a sin unto death because he's been appointed to life. Do you hear what that's just saying? In case you missed it, it went by kind of fast and probably blew your hat off. Because you are kept by the power of God, you cannot commit a sin unto death because you've been granted life. And I don't want to go into it much, but I have to mention it because it does apply. In the new covenant of grace, there's this thing called, in in covenant theology, what we call a royal grant treaty. Whereby you are granted by your king these benefits and they cannot be revoked based on your conduct. Because you have one who met all the requirements. That would be Jesus. And based on what he did, you are granted those promises. You've been granted life in Christ. It will not be taken from you. Then do you see, do you see then how serious of a thing and offense it is for anyone to preach a gospel that says that somehow you can lose your salvation because it's calling into question the integrity and sovereignty and heart of God. And it's actually, it's actually putting you and your will above God's ability to keep. And that's sinister. And there's no hope in that. But as we go on here, I'm talking about now it's not what you know, it's, it's who you know, okay? Verse, uh, verse uh, again, verse 18, for we know, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And and I call this, it's not what, what you know, it's who you know, because in three verses, 18, 19, and 20, we have a we know, we know, we know. You know? 
So first, we know whoever is born of God does not sin, has been born of God. And notice this word. It says, has been born of God, keeps himself. You think, how do I keep myself? Well, what it really means is you're looking after. In the Greek, it means you're looking after. You're looking after. And, and the wicked one does not, what it says in the Greek again, in the, in the way of touch, it means lay hold of, to press down and keep. So he can't do that to you. Stay away from any kind of doctrine in any church of any kind that claims to be orthodox that says that the Christian can be possessed. That is a lie. Right from straight from hell. That is not true. The devil cannot abide in possession in the saint of God. You want to know why? Because the saint of God is full of something he cannot stand. The Godhead. No, he really can't stand. He has to kneel. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he has to get low, right? Now, now, now he can bother you and, and you can be tempted, but the Bible says we, none, you know, we're all tempted, but, but God will provide a way of escape and not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able to bear will provide a way of escape sometimes the reason we sin is because we look at the escape hatch and go but it's just one more cookie but we know verse 19 we know that we are of god (laughs) so we're born of god and and we know we are of god i i know him and i also know the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one be careful. I feel compelled to tell you guys this. Be very careful about the news you listen to. If they've lied before, they're going to be lying now. You don't build your confidence on the headlines. Yes, truth is out there and you're going to have to dig for it, but don't think it's going to be on the top. That's where the scum is you got to get down to the fresh water. Just be careful because the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one and it's that agenda that's going to be pushed. We know the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. We just, we just know things as Christians and it's hard to explain. It's because we read the Word of God. We read the Bible, but the Holy Spirit is indicating to us that This is kind of a different deal now. Things have changed. Or you will hear something or see something and think, "Mm, not so. Not sure why, but not so. And it says that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So if you just take that last line there in, in regards back to the whole idea of somehow that that. You can, as a Christian, blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Notice he says it's the true God, but it's the true eternal life. It wouldn't be eternal as far as life goes and a promise if somehow you could lose it. Okay, it just, again, makes no sense. Get tired of things that don't make sense. Last closing thought, and we'll be done. Final admonition. That's just a fancy way of saying last thought. 
Verse 21 says, little children, keep guard. Keep means guard. Guard yourselves from idols. I like how, I like how John put this. He's, 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 he's admonishing those whom he's writing that are surrounded by, by idolatry of every kind imaginable. Even to go out into culture, these Christians had to be very careful about the company they kept and the places they went because sometimes by the very presence of being there was a passive way of saying, I agree with you. You have to be really careful about that, especially in our day. You guys are going to be put in situations with family and friends and and perhaps even in your jobs where your job may ask you to do something that you know is against the revealed will of God and you might have to choose between God and your job. But he says, little children, guard yourselves. I want to close, I want to analogize this with a song that JT sings a lot, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. This was written by Robert Robinson, okay? Penned the words to this hymn in his early 20s. In time, he came to believe in the right of private judgment. It goes on to say, so much that he disliked the binding of anyone's conscience by a statement of faith. And as I've been thinking on that, here's what I kind of think it is. He came to believe that, that every, pers- every person should have the right to their own truth. And even if your truth was a lie, it's your truth, and no one should say anything against your truth because you have the right for it to be true, even if it's not. Essentially, it's nonsensical, and it's kind of what's happening today. Okay? He slowly devolved in his theology. Now, he wrote this, Come Thou Fountain, you know the words of it. I'm going to remind you of a few lines here in a minute. But he slowly devolved in his theology because if you're trying to be a Christian and think that way, where there's really no standard and every right has, everybody has the right to think wrong thoughts and you have no right to correct them, He slowly devolved in his theology, becoming a little too tolerant of some other views. Shortly before his death, at age 54, he preached at Joseph Priestley's Unitarian Church, a church that denied the deity of Christ. Socinians, they denied the deity of Jesus. We talked about this before going through this book, that it wasn't really Jesus who we saw, and there are various views of that. That it, it, basically, it was a, he, Jesus was a hologram. Uh, the Christ left Jesus before he died on the cross. Uh, Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, but, but, but then when he was born, then the Christ descended upon him at the baptism and then left him before. That's what it was all about. So this, this man, Robert Robinson, wrote this, this hymn. And the, the, the Unitarian Church, I've always, it's always been a conundrum to me. They gather to celebrate nothing and everything. Pretty much. I want to know what that looks like. Maybe a saw. I don't know. But they do that. And so he preached there. But here's what happened. Uh, Robinson had a strong beginning in the 1750s and 60s. Remember, we were talking about keep yourselves from idols. 
But near the end of his life, he had, to, he had begun to wander. And the reason that's odd is because part of the refrain of that, come thou found every blessing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it to thy throne above. Wildly, widely told but unverifiable, there's a story that says that one day as he was riding in a stagecoach, a lady asked him what he thought of the hymn she was humming. No one's ever asked me that. And he responded, Madam, I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had, if I had them to enjoy the feelings that I had then. So you think, why are you bringing up this story? Because Robert Robinson had an idol. It was the idol of self. That I have the right to think what I want. And so do you. God has no right to tell me an absolute truth. Is that not what we see happening today? Is that not what we read about over there in Romans chapter 1? Is that not what we see being constantly spilled out to our young people today when they're trying to, in even the youngest of grades, introduce them to sodomy and blasphemy of all kinds against the created order of God? So I'm going to finish reading Romans there in verse 24 of chapter 1. Or verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God has also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And there it is in verse 25. That's what happened to Robert Robinson. That's what happens whenever you begin to exalt the human will over God's will. And for this reason, God gave them over to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, the men, we're talking about homosexual relationships there, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And verse 28, if that's not enough, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, Haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. And then verse 32 is the clincher. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, but not only do they do the same, but they approve of those who practice them too. Is that not a summation of the world's governments today? And then there's us. We are the fly in the ointment. Because <laughs> we're there and we're saying, thus says the Lord, keep yourselves from idols. 
So I want to encourage you, church, as we finish up today, and this went long. It's harder for you to do this. Young people, if you're saved and you know Christ, I'm going to tell you what I've told both my kids this week in closing. And that little, that little guy right there. When I became a Christian in 1980-something, four, okay, it was a casual time in the church. There wasn't really anything to bother us. We still had Wednesday nights for youth group, and the high schools respected the church, and so did the government <laughs> in most places. I think even in Oregon and California. But those times are gone. We didn't have to struggle much. We, we could take our time to grow in the Lord, you know? Our biggest decision was, do I go to the lake on Sunday or do I go to church? Well, I want to tell you who are young in the faith now, whether you're a teenager or an old ager, I'm going to give to you my best Mickey way. You don't have time to mess around now. You don't have time like I did or we did to get it right. I'm sorry. You don't have time to decide if you're going to read your Bible or not. Because I don't know really how long you'll be able to have it. You don't have time. Don't think you can be lax in your devotion to Christ. Because the world is changing faster than we've ever known. The people who study trends can't even keep up with it. So I'm letting you know in advance, right now, today, okay? You don't have time to mess around in your walk with God. Give it all you got. In other words, floor it push the throttle all the way and stay there. JT, you think, well, how in the world are you supposed to respond to all that? You respond exactly as God is compelling you to respond to it. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Christ? Do you have just church? Do you have churchianity, but you don't have Christianity? There's a vast difference. You've been converted to praise bands and, and cool clubs, but you don't know the Christ of the Bible or, the, or, the, or the, the function of the worship as in glorifying God in attitude first. Do you know Christ? Have you repented of your sin? Have you took, have you took your stand down before God's people and said, I stand here with nothing except me, and I come today professing my faith in Christ today. That I'm a sinner. And in my chair, I, I prayed and I asked God to forgive me and make me His because I'm done. I'm not going to go the way of the world. He's shown me who I am. And I stand here to say, Christ is my Savior. That's the kind of stand that's going to be required in these days. We don't have time to mess around. And some of you know Christ, but you've just been asleep at the wheel you don't even remember the small towns you've drove through. Say, God, wake me up. Wake me up. And let me see what I'm around. Whatever God is calling you to do today, the altar is open. I'm here if you need me.
you do what God calls you to do.